Hello and welcome to the podcast. I really hope you enjoy listening. The purpose of this podcast is to give you an in-the-room experience as I chat with the leaders of our church here at Vineyard and also other people in the future as we discuss what we feel God's saying and what we see in the future of our church. I'd really like you all to be on the same page as we march into the future together. Good things ahead. Enjoy yourselves. Hey guys, Lord Hamilton here. Welcome to part one of this episode. In the next coming days, we will release part two and part three. And to listen to them, please search temporary name on your favorite streaming services. Thank you. Please enjoy. All right. So we're on. So I'm welcoming you to the, I'm officially welcoming you to the temporary name podcast, Linz. How are you going? Very, very good. Love the name. Hey, temporary name. The temporary name. Yeah, it's a, it's a highly spiritual name. We, um, we sought the Lord. We fasted and prayed. We, um, we, we, we presented our, our grain offerings at the temple. And um, yeah, after, after six weeks of lying in sackcloth sack and ashes, we came up with a temporary name podcast. No, that's, that's completely untrue, every bit of that. Um, we've literally named it Temporary Name because it's a temporary name. And um, there's a competition going on. Our church has got a competition to find a name and nothing has struck us to be the new name yet. So we're still just uh, rolling with temporary name. But anyway, here we are. It's great to be chatting, Linz. This is take two, by the way, because we had a conversation yesterday that we recorded and then the computer decided to chew up the the uh, memory card. So that's a conversation that's lost to eternity. And it's probably good, actually. I, there were some things I said yesterday that I regretted. So, uh, Well, I, I was going to say that... I was going to mention that Luke would probably have to do a little bit of editing with some of the language that was going on, but anyway. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Christian swear. No, that's all not true. Actually, you, you, your, um, you, you, your sound quality is much better today, so I think it's a, a good thing that we're, that we're having a new conversation. But, but anyway, for those of you who don't know, uh, Pastor Lindsay Clark, he um, has been a longtime friend of ours and the founder of Metamorphic which is a church planting organization. Linz, can you, um, for those listeners who, who may know uh, a little or may know nothing about who you are and what you do, can you, can you intro yourself about exactly your relationship with us and what it is that you're on planet Earth for? Absolutely. Well, uh, Julie and I are church planters. We planted our first church at 23 years of age. Uh, I was at Bible college, bored off my nut, thought I want to go and do something, planted a church, no clue what I was doing. Um, but somehow I got a group of people together and uh, and that was the start of a journey that's uh, gone on for, you know, 35, uh, nearly 40 years now. So uh, all that to say that we went through a journey of planting dozens of churches in Australia and then decided to start a ministry called Metamorphic, which is what you referred to. And we plant churches all around the globe. Uh, we planted uh, seven and a half thousand churches in the last 18 years, and they've hmm. planted another 25,000. So a total of 32,000 churches globally on four continents. And uh, primarily what we do is we teach them how to think differently. They're very community-based uh, churches. They're, they don't really revolve around a Sunday service, although they have one. Uh, they all have a small business to support themselves. Uh, but they're all vitally involved with connecting with people and loving people and 
focusing on community needs. So that's a little bit about metamorphic and the relationship to you guys goes back many years when I was a pastor on the south coast of New South Wales and your dad used to come down and preach for me. You were young then. And, yeah, uh, very young. You came, I think you came, might have come down at some stage too. You were probably, I'd probably, yeah, you were probably, you know, I don't know, 10 or something like that. Yeah, it would have been uh, somewhere between 10 and 13. I remember um, surfing with you and Dad yeah, that's one right, time we were yeah. down there. That was great. And then we good. started Metamorphic and really interesting, uh, our connection, because nobody knew that we were starting Metamorphic because I'd been working in another church. Mm. And uh, the first day we started Metamorphic, uh, a lovely lady from your church named Barb Carter rang me up. She was the missions leader or pastor at the time. Good old Barb. She was called Barb, yep. And she's still around, by the way. Is she really? She's working hard as hard as ever. She's oh, going for it. She should be working hard. Uh, she yeah. deserves that sort of uh, treatment, I think. She's, she's but she's a, a great 80, lady. 80. She was a great encouragement that day. She rang me, and I had no money to start Metamorphic. Uh, but long story cut short, in 45 minutes, I had many phone calls, and we had $100,000 to start Metamorphic. But one of those phone calls was from Barb Carter. He said, I don't know why, but we really feel, which is really encouraging, I don't know why. <laughs> um, but she said, I don't know why, but we, we want to get behind you and support you just you know, because you've got a missions focus. We want to give you a couple of hundred dollars a month personally as support. And mm. so your church was the first church ever to support us and Metamorphic, which is amazing, really. Brilliant. Yeah, that's great. There's nothing like it. Friendship and lifelong connections, Linz. It, it um, it's quite powerful, and I've heard. Uh, I can't remember who said it, but it, it it was enough to burn into my memory. Is that mo- most people overestimate what they can do in five years, but underestimate what they can do in ten. Yeah. And being a partner for how long? Eighteen years now. Yeah, eighteen. Yeah. And seven and a half thousand churches who have gone on themselves to plant. What was the number? And twenty-three. Thirty-two totally. So the seven and a half have planted about 25,000 between them wow. on top of the seven. So, Wow. That's just, that's pretty mind-blowing, really. That's that's a lot of churches to plant in 18 years. It's pretty cool. I mean, we, you know, it's amazing. Without God, blowing your own trumpet okay. or anything, but, you know. Well, you sort of get surprised by God, but you're not really surprised because you sort of know God's going to do something that exceeds, yeah. you know, our mm-hmm. expectations. Uh, mm. And yet every time he does something miraculous, you go, oh, you know, sometimes I feel like a little kid or a goldfish. You know, it's like I, it's the first time I've seen something and yet you see God turn up and do things like Because this. This, this is a move of God, 32,000 yeah. churches. It's so. incredible, incredible. And without, I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm blowing smoke too much, Linz, but having been a partner with you guys for ages and seeing how you do um, what you do and being a part of what you do as part of the training for some of these uh, pastors that are going at planning churches. The thing I love about it is how releasing the model is. You've got it's completely self-sustaining. Every every pastor is also running a small business, keeping themselves going. So um, it doesn't matter if any funding from overseas stops because they they never had it in the first place, and they're charging along, self-sustainable, and developing their communities as they go along, not just doing a church meeting yep. but actually have a plan to change their village town state yeah. nation and, they, and are, they are different churches they're different looking churches that we see in the western world although hopefully 
no doubt we'll get to chatting about this at some stage, but as a result mm. of this year, uh, I hope the church is going to grow up and, and learn to, to be the church. But we mm. we typically have a church, it doesn't matter where we are in the world, Africa, Asia, the Americas, Europe, and the way they look is the average church is between 137 in some countries to about 250 in other countries. Right. Um, some of them are churches of over a 1,000, but the real distinguishing aspect of these churches is every person is engaged, every mm. person is doing something in their community, every person is released into ministry. So mm. the way I put that, uh, Daniel, is, uh, is I think the churches we've been planting, the people in them are the church, they don't attend church, and mm. uh, they come on a Sunday to celebrate what they did all week and yeah. the stories and testimonies of people being healed or, or just helped or just being neighbourly, you know, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it is cool. And we will get on to COVID and, and 2020 and what you feel for the church um, globally and for Australia later on in the conversation, Linz. But 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 um, just continuing on with Metamorphic, one of the other things that I have noticed about what you do in the churches that are planted is that you and I've now I've been where have I been? I've I've helped you with the programs that we that you run in the training in uh, Burma. Yep, Burma, Cambodia, Cambodia, yeah. La- Laos, um, Nepal, Nepal, yep, and uh, Africa. Can yeah, you- Africa and Europe. Your dad's been up to Europe before. So dad's been to Europe. That's right, and several other African countries. Yep, and I think he went to Vietnam with you as well. Yes, he did. And, um, and and Morocco. So the thing that I've noticed in in my travels with what with what you do and helping out with the training is that it doesn't matter where you go, you're actually not going to see a metamorphic sticker or sign on the door. It's yeah. not you're not building your own empire here. You're you're releasing people to go and build the kingdom in in a way that works for where they live. And, and you're not attached to receiving credit for it. No. And I think we, that's a really yeah. – pa- I think it's a very powerful kingdom uh, value there where it's quite literally all about sending and releasing. Definitely. That's absolutely our heart. I mean, if you look mm. at our, the list of our cultures, the second culture is, is honour. And if you actually look in the scripture what honour means, it means empowerment because what did God do with us? He honoured us. Um, in the Garden of Eden, and and continually God bestows honour on us. And what does that mean? He empowers us to be the best version of ourselves. So we're mm. just trying to pass it on, really. You know, I just I guess we're trying to treat people the way God's treated us with grace and honour. And and I just I mean personally, I know you're the same. I just get a buzz when I see other people kicking goals and succeeding and fulfilling God's plan for their lives. Yeah, that is a that is a very rewarding experience. I must admit, it's it's probably my favourite part about doing what I do with with ministry and pastoring is seeing seeing somebody tap into what's in their heart yeah. and then step out and and start succeeding in it. I just think it's brilliant. It's a yeah. very very fun part it's, of the job. It's cool. I mean, I remember yeah. you've heard the story, and people in your church have heard the story before. But I think about people like uh, Pastor Corn in Cambodia. I first met him, he didn't really believe in himself. He, you know, he 
thought he was a pastor of 50 people. And he'd lived that way with a lid on his life for 20 years. Mm. But we had the opportunity, we were blessed to be able to meet with him and spend some time mentoring and training him. And today he's got, you know, 22, 23,000 people and 130 churches. And uh, mm. we didn't do the wow. work. I mean, I didn't plant those churches. I didn't, uh, I didn't evangelize. I didn't lead anyone to Jesus. I just encouraged him, and um, and I mm. think that's uh, that's that's what the church is about, isn't it? It's about about yeah, us releasing other people. So yeah, very. It's awesome. It's very very good. Mm. Uh, that's great. That's great. Now, um, yesterday you were wearing a t-shirt, which kind of alluded to the idea that um, seven and a half thousand churches is not that big deal, bigger no. deal for you anymore, Linz. No, it's not. You, you, want, you want to talk about metamorphic in the future? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's all about perspective, isn't it? Because when we started, I mean, I remember when I first started the church, I just thought if I could get someone to turn up on the first Sunday, that'd be really good. And then yeah. many years later, we start <laughs> metamorphic and our vision, which was a big vision at the time, and, and I'm saying this sort of a bit joking, but it was a big vision at the time. Our vision mm. was to plant 1,000 churches. And mm. uh, I remember the amount of people that said to me, who, who are you? Like, where are you going to find a 1,000 people, let alone, mm. you know, let alone mm. the money? And uh, where are you going to have, how are going to have that much influence? But God had spoken. I mean, and God, look, God wants to do more than what we want to do. So uh, even some of my friends didn't want to buy into it. Two years mm. later, we've planted a 1,000 churches. And then all of a sudden people go, oh, hang on, maybe this does work. So we changed our vision statement to... We want to be, and this is our vision statement today, to be the mm. largest, most influential church planting movement in history. And uh, even that, it doesn't matter what you put out there in terms of vision. Someone mm. always have a pot shot out here. And so then I have people going, oh, that's a bit arrogant, isn't it? And I'm thinking... Hey, Linz, someone's, someone's got to be the most influential and most successful church planting movement in history. Yeah, well, I mean... May as well be you guys. I thought about being the fifth most influential and, and big uh, church planning movement, but it didn't, didn't ring. It didn't ring the bell, you know. I thought, no, let's be the number one. You know? But I'm all equally happy for some young guy who is a bit cocky and uh, not arrogant, but you know, confident to mm. pip us at the post and go, "No, I'm going to beat you," you know. And and because uh, it's not it's not a competition, but we are building yeah. the kingdom. So, but we Absolutely. love that because it's big. And, yes. God, and God's big. He's a big mm. God. And sometimes I, I think we, we shrink God down to our level instead of yeah. rising to his level. But here we are now. Oh, we have the so start true. of this year. And uh, strange timing with the year that happened, because but we didn't yeah. know that then. God's mm. put it on my heart, a number. And, uh, and then I find myself at a dinner um, in March, just as COVID breaks, and God mm -hmm. says, declare the number. You know, I couldn't declare it before that. I'm declaring it as COVID gets announced and the world's about to stop. And God spoke clearly to us and said, I want you to plant 1 million churches in the next 10 years. So that's what wow. we're going to do. Oh, wow. That's a big <laughs> step up from 35. Well, you know, 35,000. It's, it's the same experience because I say a million churches and there'll be people, even people listening today will go, oh, come on. How are you going to yeah. do that? Where are you going to mm. get the people? Where are you going to get the money? That's what they said, a 1,000 churches. Do you know mm. the leap mm. from where I was to a 1,000 churches was bigger than the leap from 32,000 churches to a million in terms of, you know, multiplication and faith? So we're mm. absolutely confident, and we've spent this year restructuring, 
getting some, we've got new people on our team that can really help facilitate it. New connections all over the world. We've got people every day contact us saying, please come and help us plant churches. So, so we're on the way and looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant. You do have a good team that, that have spread right across the world. Yep. Um, that's obviously, I'm assuming that's, that's key to your success is the partnerships you have everywhere. Definitely. Yeah, it's, it's great people uh, who are of one vision and one heart, one spirit. If you yeah. talk to our team, we speak the same language. There's a spirit of unity. Uh, yeah, it's not like I'm the kingpin. I'm the I am the leader of Metamorphic. I'm the visionary leader of Metamorphic. That's how God wired us. Uh, so in terms of vision and culture, I set that. But the rest of the team are engaged in every other area, strategy, how we do things, and they're excellent. And uh, everyone on our team, we all serve one another. And it's a it's a it's really funny we're talking about this now because we had our team meeting on Tuesday and afterwards I, was, I almost cried. Uh, I sat there with Marty and I said, this is the best our team has been in 18 years. We are hmm. we just, it's just awesome. It hmm. just feels wow. good. So, yeah, it's, it's great. And they are, they're quality people on four continents. So it's yeah. Brilliant. I've met a few of them and they are quality people. You've got a good team, no doubt about it. Lindsay, you... Are you actively planning churches in Australia now with your metamorphic model? So, yeah, good, good question. We we haven't been up until now, but all of a sudden, out of the blue, we've had two uh, major churches in Australia approach us about working with them to plant churches here and also globally in other parts of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, predominantly, they would be city churches. Uh, one church in Melbourne uh, has got a vision to plant 200 churches and we just completed a couple of days training with their exec team and they uh, they want to come on board and make metamorphic their model and their training regime for their future mm. churches. Also, there's yeah, wow. a church in Sydney that have uh, sort of bounced around with us on the idea. So, yeah, uh, yeah we have. And further to that, uh, we have used this model to plant ourselves in Australia. So on the south coast of New South Wales, when we planted, we mm-hmm. planted a church that had a gymnasium. So mm. the church was supported financially uh, from the business as well yeah. as uh, those in ministry. And then we had a massive impact into the community. So we we're very community-based. Uh, mm. we, we ran church meetings like everyone else, but nobody really thought of that as the church. Uh, we would have The way we were said it is we're getting together to celebrate and hang out but we are the church. We, the people, yeah. we're the church. And, yeah. Uh, so that model that, has been used successfully here. Yeah. That That's going to be the big thing. And I, I wanted to bring it up because um, I know your history, but I know a lot of conversations that I've had over the years in talking about your model in what you do. You send it, you, you train up a young fella or, or any fella who mm. wants to plan a church, but you, you don't train him how to pastor people and plan a church and run a Sunday meeting. You actually train him how to, develop and um, initiate a small business. You train him how to be successful in a small business and then you train him how to um, develop a community development plan that actually meets the needs of his community. And then you train him how to actually gather a meeting, preach a sermon and build a church that's focused on its community Yep. Um, first and foremost and also self-sustaining by the pastor running a business. Absolutely. Some of the conversations I've had with um, certain people over the years I guess have alluded to the idea that, and I'll play the devil's advocate for a little while, 
so so you can answer out of it. Because I think that 2020 and this shake-up of this year is actually pointing us in Australia, the church, to a, a, trans, a transformation of how we do what we're called to do. So what I've heard is, um, I guess, the idea that your model's okay for third world countries where you can just go buy five chickens, um, have five eggs hatch, sell five chickens, and, hey, you, you've, you've made enough money to live on for a month, um, you know? And I've been, I guess, a little bit smart aleck in that. But the idea of starting a small business is much easier in a third world country where things are more underdeveloped, agricultural. Um, I guess it's the it's it's easy for them to do type of mentality that I've picked up a fair bit. And you think, well, things are a little bit harder in Australia. You just can't go do that. What do you have to say to that kind of mindset that says, you know, your your approach works in the third world, but maybe not necessarily in developed countries with regulations and you know, a lot, a lot more red tape in trying to get things done and people's busy lives and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting comment and one I'm always happy to answer. Cause, and the other one people often ask is, do the uh, pastors get distracted by their businesses? The answer to that one is no, they don't. If they're, if they're the right people, and we, we have a selection criteria, so I understand we're selecting the right people to be in the class. So one, they don't get distracted, but two... No, it's absolutely, it's, a, it's actually a, a furphy that in terms of that idea that it's easier there. If you think about uh, the cost of living in a country, let's just say Cambodia compared to Australia, uh, mm. the money to start a chicken business, let's just say chickens, um, as opposed to starting a, you know, a Jim's mowing franchise here, um, mm-hmm. is pretty well comparable. Uh, so the, the yeah, risk right. factor is the same. Um, and mm. you might say, oh, but there's less risk with, uh, uh, risk with chickens. Well, I, I'd probably disagree with that. Uh, you get bird flu and you wipe out half your chickens, you're in trouble. So you're it's, the same, yeah, that's true. it's the same principles, like they've got to risk, mitigate risk. We teach them how to do all of that. Now, don't just put chickens in the backyard, but, but you know, pat them nicely and give them medicine and things like that. So <laughs> I, I say that just that there's an equality. No, no, I've, you do train them well in business. I've, I've, seen, the, I've seen your but training. The yeah. in Australia, is the, it can be the same. And the future, I would say the future of the church in the West is going to be a lot of pastors will be bivocational. And to be mm. frank with you, I'm a church planter. So I've never pastored a church I didn't start. And right. they, they all didn't, none of them started with 500 people. They no. started with 20 people or 90 people and and there was not enough to pay me or anybody else. So yeah. I was always bivocational. And mm. um, and further that, so I mean, I'm a very good example of that and I was able to all, do all sorts of things. That I did mow the lawns at one stage, uh, but then I sold life insurance, you know, and, and made a mozza doing that. Uh, I've done so <laughs> That's many a great job for a pastor. Oh, I reckon. Life, you do it, so, <laughs> Get him thinking about dying. <laughs> Just it's just which sort of life insurance do you want, eternal or temporal? You know. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. The funny, funny thing is, Lock I was giving door. away the eternal life insurance, but the temporal one you had to pay for. So. You had to pay for it. That's yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One, one one thought leads to the next. It's true, but the yeah. thing is, the model I think going forward, and and not to make too big a point of it, I mean, our our real example of this is, is the Apostle Paul. He's a tent maker. And yeah. he wasn't yeah. a third world country. He was at the centre of civilization at the time. You know, mm. He was in Turkey and, and in Italy and, uh, you know, in, and so you know, the very edge of Asia and into Europe. So he was a classic example and, and he wasn't just a 
just a, a guy that was playing the church with 20 people. He was an apostle. He was a leader yeah. of leaders, and he, he saw that that was a great way. Uh, and the reason I'm, I'm sort of saying this and explaining this part of it is that it's not just the financial component, it's the immersion in the local community. And I yeah. think uh, the clergy-laity system that we've seen for hundreds of years in Western churches, but also churches in the East as well, is being yeah. broken down at the moment. And yeah, uh, I think those so. walls are coming down. And part of that will mean that pastors will be more immersed and engaged in the community, yeah. uh, which I think is fantastic. I really do. I agree with you there, Linz. I, 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 believe, I actually see that happening myself, definitely the, the re-immersion of pastors and ministers in everyday community. But not only that, with, um, with the, the clergy laity, I guess it can be a bit of a divide in people's thinkings. Um, it has been for a long time. I see that breaking down as well. Yes, which I think is I think is actually a really really good thing. It's um, it was uh, I was saying it to Murray Murray Newman. I heard it from Danny, but um, on uh, further inquiry, I realised it wasn't Danny Gugliamucci who said it. It was actually Martin Luther, who spoke about the uh, priesthood of all believers, and I think that uh, that's a powerful thing that we we really don't want to lose. The fact that everybody is a minister, we are the church. That's been a big message of mine throughout COVID. Actually, is remembering that we don't go to church we are the church that's it and uh so what does that look like when the church gathers we we actually it's the church that's gathering to celebrate um not a bunch of empty souls who need to be filled but a bunch of spirit filled souls who come to encourage and build up and love and yeah you know uh, spur each other on very true yeah and we're, we're in a fortunate position we've got to see this firsthand for the last 18 years because we've mm. seen it reproduced again and again. Because what you're describing is what we do. Uh, our pastors understand being a pastor is a function, but they're just they're, they're part of the church. And not yeah. everyone is a pastor, but we can all we can all shepherd people and pastor people. And yeah. um, but one of the things we say to all of our uh, church planters is, you, you're not pastoring a church; you're pastoring a community. And if you do that, mm. you'll mobilise the people to be immersed and be salt and light. And yeah. so their thinking is we don't go out to grab someone and drag them back into a meeting. We go out and we're salt and light and we meet the needs of people in the community. It's mm. not about dragging them into a meeting. And yeah. uh, the foundation of our teaching, and I might have shared some of these thoughts in, in your church in the past, but what we probably showing, have, but go what's for that? it. You probably have, but, but go for it again. But the, Absolutely. the concept of Cave and Kingdom Church is core yeah. to who we are and what we do. And in the West, we basically have cave churches. And what I mean by cave church is they're churches that are caught up with what happens in the cave and having very little influence what happens outside. And mm. so it becomes about stage, you know, what we do on the stage and what my role is on a Sunday. And, you know, and so... You know, basically, it's that we have a bunch of jobs, which and the only jobs in the church revolve around making a Sunday work, uh, and we do need to make our meetings work. But it's about the fact that every believer should be in, involved and engaged in the community. So our pastors understand that what happens inside the, the building is very much secondary to what happens in the community, and that's what we call a kingdom church. And if you read the stories of David when he went into the, into Jerusalem as the king, it says 
every tribe, every family was involved. The mobilisation of people was amazing. People mm, were skilled, mm. so they were willing to be trained. They wanted to be developed. Their hand was up, leaning in, saying, we want to help win this. And, yeah. um, and it says they're of one heart and they're of one mind and one spirit. And mm. what's really interesting, that Daniel, is that, is that at that stage there was only one vision and everyone bought into it and they had massive success. They took a city and influenced the whole nation. But in the cave... Interesting, the people that came there says they were in debt, distress, and discontent. And Mm, there's a whole lot of stuff to talk about there. But the primary thing I guess I'm getting across is those people all had their own vision. It was all about them. Help my debt, help my distress, help my discontent. And although we might all have issues and we want help with that, the point was that they were focused on not being the church but going to church and trying to get something out of it. And mm. that's changed. I think that's changed forever. Yeah, yeah. Listen, that's that encourages me, Linz. Um, again, it's it's reinforcing what I feel God's been putting on our hearts. We're starting again. We're actually um, our Sundays are starting up, and people are coming back to the big building. We had our first big gathering two weeks ago, and the next one's going to be this coming Sunday. And um, a lot of people are excited about the fact that we can just be in the same room together again and. The church family being able to be in one place. I'm looking forward to it. But one of the one of the um, the one of the significant shifts, and there's many significant shifts, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on what the significant shifts are for for 2020 onwards. But one of the significant shifts for us was the idea that everybody brings a plate. Yeah. Um, no one comes empty-handed, and uh, that's not a pressure thing. Or hey, where's where's your food? Or it's not it's not a demand. It's actually a realization. And that, um, and so we've actually um, stopped our cafe ministry, and now everybody quite literally brings a plate. Yeah. And uh, so everybody brings a bit of food, and instead of lining up to buy our coffee and our toast, we actually all bring food and, and we put it on tables, and people serve it to us, and we share it. And that's a physical example of the the, the truer spiritual reality that, as a believer, you carry the spirit of God. And you don't come yeah. empty-handed. You actually come. Just the fact that you're there is a, is probably all that someone else needs. And that alone, just a smile, is going to do a world of good for someone else that no amount of preaching would fix. I mean, if everybody turns up and realizes somebody needs me here today, even if you're feeling dry and feeling empty, the 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 secret to being refreshed is actually in the giving, in the pouring out. Yeah. And so as we come realizing who, who can I give of myself today, there's somebody who needs a word, there's somebody who needs a, a smile or a hug or a handshake, a, a, a COVID safe hug, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know what I mean? So you, every believer is able to encourage another believer and it, it doesn't all come from the stage. We're actually a family. So um, that's a big shift that I see happening, and, and I'm we're, we are actively um, establishing that as a as an element of our culture. It's always been there, but I think it needs reinforcing. Yeah, definitely at the moment. But I do want to ask you, Linz, what do you see? And you can talk globally. You can talk um, specifically to Australia if you've got views or ideas on that. And um, but 2020 has been a big shake up for a lot of people. It's been a big shake up for us. A lot of pastors that I know, a lot of churches. It's been a, a, a real 
it's a it's just been a hard year and a lot of mm. strange testing and for some people terrible things have happened but it's been a big shake-up and i can't help but feel that god's in it yep but i wanted to ask you because i've got my own ideas obviously but what do you see lens for the church and again australia global moving forward what do you think this 2020 shake-up is actually for it is a shake-up it's a shake-up by god i'll preface that by saying and we all know this, I'm sure, but I need to say it up front that I don't think God caused COVID-19. No, um, I don't believe that either. But he knew it was going to happen. And he's, mm-hmm. he's the mastermind of God is that he'll leverage anything the devil tries to put up uh, yeah. and and use it to get the body of Christ re- uh, ready. And yeah. we'll get to that in a moment because this is about the bride, everything that's happening now. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah. it's pretty amazing, I think, Uh to think through what that looks like. I had a vision earlier yeah. in the year. I might share it. I'll see how we go. But there's a few things. So we've, we've sort of mentioned a couple of them, but I want to reiterate them because anyone's listening to this, it's probably good to stop and go, where do I fit in this? Because God, what God's clearly saying is, I want you to be the church, not go to church. You said that a few moments ago. Yeah. Uh, and that's the key. The key here is... Thanks for making it to the end, guys. I hope that was enjoyable for you as it was for us chatting. We will catch up with you next time. Enjoy the rest of whatever it is you're about to do. God bless you.